0: I'm not going to get, I don't know what's going to happen here.
1: I don't have any information on that. They
0: don't understand what you're talking about.
2: And that's going to prove to be disastrous.
1: What it
3: means is that the people don't want
2: socialism. They want more
4: conservatism. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
0: It's the Ricochet Podcast with Rob Long and Troy Senek sitting in. Peter Robinson. Guest today, Ovik Roy, Perry advisor, James Bethakukas on Greece and China. Let's have ourselves a podcast. There you go again. Yes, welcome everybody to this, the Ricochet podcast number 266. It's brought to you by The Great Courses. For a limited time, The Great Courses has a special offer for you, the Ricochet listener. You can get The Philosopher's Toolkit, How to Be the Most Rational Person in Any Room, for up to 80% off. So go to thegreatcourses.com slash ricochet, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Uh, but skitter off, if you will, to thegreatcourses.com slash ricochet. And, of course, we're brought to you by Harry's Shave, because overpaying for drugstore razors is just its a bad habit. It's like taking... Free or you know money at a very low rate from European bankers—it's a bad thing to do, and you should leave that habit behind. You should make the smart switch and go to Harry's. Use our coupon code Ricochet, and we're brought to you, of course, by Ricochet.com. Uh, esteemed founder Peter is not with us; he is off, I think, somewhere. Uh, I don't know—he's off at a sweater yeah. competition. Um, but we have—we <laughs> have—we Ro- <laughs> have Rob Long, who is swanned in once again from the East Coast. Oh, uh, i tell-
1: West Coast. I'm here. I'm, I'm in L.A.
0: I know, but you made the, you made the move from the east to the west and I assume Drive. a certain amount of swanning was involved en route. So now that you're here and ensconced in your usual seat with the dog barking in the background and the beautiful Venice shore uh, beckoning, uh, tell us why people should give their money to Ricochet and what they get. Well, in- I would
1: like to say – uh, I, I want to say this. If you are listening to this podcast and you're a member, we are thrilled to have you as a member with us. Um, uh, we're on here. We're all fellow members together. We're glad that you're part of the big conversation, and we're happy to see you on the site. And if, if you're you listening
0: are, and you're not a member, you're a Greek freeloader. You might as well vote <laughs> no, for no, a look.
1: Yeah, uh, we don't want to say that. Um, it, a a lot of people. It. A lot of people listen, but I mean, we have. We we need ten thousand members to make this thing work. We have slightly fewer than that. We still need ten thousand members. If you've been listening and you mean to become a member. Um, just do it. Just do it today. Please do it this week. Please do it today when you listen to this podcast. Um, and that's all I'll say. Uh, it matters to us. It's a big, big deal. It's not, um, it's not nothing. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say today. This, this week, all I'm going to ask is, is um, for people who, who, who know how great Ricochet is and have been meaning to join uh, and have not done it, please do it um, today
0: it will mean a great deal to us. And um, once – exactly. And once we hit 10,000, then there will be 50 percent smaller in time uh, entreaties from Rob. So you get everything – everybody gets something out of this. You get ricochet, the ricochet project survived. Yeah. You get and,
1: less. of me. That's, that's, and then who and everybody wants less of me.
0: If you get less of Rob in the front, you get more of him in the large, capacious argument it portion. To yeah. Come and we'll start that out with. Well, Rob, I was going to say, it, but there you went. Uh, with Troy Senek, who's replacing Peter this week, and welcome, Troy. I know that as you survey the the popular landscape, you're thinking, gosh. It's really kind of fun to see the Democrats' enthusiasm go behind an avowed socialist. It really does kind of <laughs> kind of rip the mask off just a tad, doesn't it? Are you, as they say, feeling the burn? And given what he said in you know about women wanting really to be gang raped and how you get cervical cancer from lack of orgasms, I think uh, uh, feeling is is a term that I really don't want to use in terms of, <laughs> of Bernie Sanders. But explain, if you will, his meteoric rise.
3: Well, I think Bernie Sanders appeals to the fact that Bernie Sanders is representative of a dynamic that has happened in the Democratic Party the last couple years, which is that they have moved, they're getting restless, which is what happens when a party controls the White House for eight years. And no matter what a president accomplishes for you, there's always more that he can do. And there's always been these shock troops on the left who felt like President Obama, President Obama doesn't have his heart in it yeah, right. and they, they want something more and <laughs> yeah. Bernie Sanders is something more and he's, he's also – to be fair about this, he's the only alternative these people have to look to. There's no Elizabeth Warren in this race. Hillary Clinton is being cautious as is her want and everybody else – I mean O'Malley is sort of a non-entity and then you've got these two other guys, Lincoln Chafee and Jim Webb who are both republicans for most of their careers. But I look at this and I am delighted. Because I see the Democratic Party in 2016 looking very, very similar to the Republican Party in 2008, which is that you've got a party that has an incumbent that has polarized the country. They're intellectually exhausted. They've got this aging, unloved candidate as their front runner, And the field is so barren that they're turning, as some of our people did, to Ron Paul in 2008 – To the slightly wacky 70-year-old guy who takes every argument to the ideological extreme, and these are not things that augur well for a party winning the White House. So I am delighted to see the crowds turn out in places like Madison, Wisconsin for Bernie Sanders. If they want to make that the face of the Democratic Party, fine by me.
1: Hey, uh, Troy, uh, uh, help me out with this thesis I'm working on. Okay. Republicans have traditionally always nominated the next person and, you know, and their primaries have always, always been a little bit uh, a kabuki theater, right? Uh, and there's the next guy. The next guy in line usually gets uh, – always gets the nomination. Uh, but there's a brief flirtation with an insurgent um, and the uh, primary voters in the back of their minds, or the front of their minds, when they talk to pollsters, they talk to, to pundits, they talk to reporters. They always say, well, I know this – I know person X has got no chance but i'm trying to push the eventual nominee to the you know to to, to the farther to the right farther to the, to the right right you know, you know, go go further to where where i think the the heart of the party lies uh and the democrats have always had you know 27 candidates uh all on stage there running around trying to you know, cobble together a coalition to win the the caucuses the primaries this year it's exactly the opposite that's right that bernie sanders's support is Really, I mean, I. I mean, look, I, I. love everything you said. I love, but I really think it half, half that support, two thirds of that support, ninety percent of that support. I. By the way, I have zero evidence for this, but I. I believe it in my bones. It's just people th- thinking? I'm fine with Hillary. I'm fine with her. But I want. I want. I want the liberals to, to to have something. I want to fly the flag for the liberals, and I want her to remember who her people really are. Exactly. So right. I'm going to be for Bernie yeah. now, and I'm going to. I'm going to shut up the minute New Hampshire is wrapped up. I 'm going to shut up and be for Hillary. They may even have Hillary bumper stickers on their car right now um and and the, it's the Republicans who have this uh this this gigantic beauty pageant. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for Republicans or or necessarily a bad thing for Democrats for that matter, but um it's weird. it's a very strange kind of flip that I never would have predicted
3: yeah, that's exactly right and and I think you're right about the Sanders dynamic, which is let's let's keep in mind. How low the cost is to tell some pollster at this point, if you're <laughs> yeah. a Democratic primary voter, that you're in favor of Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's gestural politics. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And, how, and low it, uh, right.
1: how, how low the cost is to run now in that party. Right? Exactly. exactly.
0: And it, it, it proves you're a good person because even though you may not vote for Bernie <laughs> right. or don't think he's going to get traction, he's a socialist and socialism is good. It's the humanitarian <laughs> yeah. alternative that we've never really so tried. So- but, it, but the, the few it's places in which tried. It's, it's been never applied – Never been tried. The, the few places in which it actually has been, they, they've tried, they've attempted a little bit of it in some Scandinavian countries, and it worked marvelously. And so why we can't transplant the model that works for 12 million ethnically homogenous, culturally homogenous people into a, into a nation of 360 million people with all sorts of different cultures, uh, it ought to be an easy thing to do. And besides, even if it doesn't work, it shows that we cared to try. And so that's what it's all about. You're right. It's, it's, it's a signifier that you're a good person who cares. And of course, to the left, care is, Defined by taking other people's property away and giving it to those people over there <laughs> and feeling good about yourself in the middle. Uh, but it, more about that in a little bit. I just find it amusing that uh, he's got this surge and it supposedly says nothing whatsoever about uh, people's attitude toward Hillary. Who, who – rem- remember, Hillary in her, uh, in her conversation this week, her interview, um, believes that she's trusted and that she's worthy of trust. And <laughs> – uh, we we got to get to this with our that guest amongst, among other things. It's it's so beautiful. I, and to hear all of the worried people on N- MSNBC or CNN talking about how she seems defensive, tired, uh, pr- prickly, <laughs> peevish, wondering if she's up for it, not uh, a veteran sure campaign. It's... And you know every single one of those people making the critique will vote for her in the end anyway. Uh, let's talk to Avik, shall we? Avic Roy. Uh, he's a senior – uh, advisor to Governor Perry. He's the author of How Medicaid Fails the Poor, Transcending Obamacare. You can find him at, uh, oh, all kinds of places, National Review Online, and uh, and of course here, our podcast, where we welcome him back. Uh, thanks for joining us again. How are you doing today?
2: Hey, good uh, good day from Austin, Texas, land of uh- the free, home of <laughs> <with> the brave. <laughs> hey, Ovik, it's Rob Long in Los Angeles.
1: Thanks hey, for Rob. joining us again. Uh, so I, Peter Robinson's not on uh today which allows me to ask a series of really amateurish questions but I, I need to ask before we can talk about policy or politics you're in austin yes, um sir. headquarters of the perry campaign like what do you does he hang out there do you like does he walk around do you guys <laughs> how, do you guys talk every i mean is he how does that even work i mean are, do you travel with him do you sit in an office
2: do you talk to him on the phone i mean he he's mostly traveling to the uh, the early states so he's spending most of his time in iowa new hampshire and south carolina uh so he's not in the office that much uh, once in a while um I'm in the office probably a lot more uh you know working on uh, a lot of things that uh, senior advisors do I suppose
0: And what's his what's his favorite ice cream <laughs> oh,
2: <yeah. laughs> You know is, I I don't know the answer to that I'll have to ask him
1: Is this your first uh, uh presidential campaign
2: I uh, was an outside health care advisor to Mitt Romney in okay. 2012. So uh, you know, I helped uh, you know, work on the Obamacare replacement plan, the Medicare reform, things like that. Uh, but but not but this is my first time at this at this level uh, of being involved. Is it cool? Yeah, I mean it's 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 uh, well you know it's a real honor to work for Governor Perry, who I, I think you know I, I get uh, that uh, you know what happened last time and how there's skepticism about him, but uh, I've. Followed his. Uh, I graduated from high school in San Antonio, and so I filed his record just as an honorary Texan uh, myself for 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 all this time from 2000 to 2014. And his record is astoundingly good. And even though we all, as conservatives, generally know that Texas does well, I don't think people really appreciate how successful Texas has been and how innovative. Texas Mm -hmm. has been at pushing the policy envelope for conservatives further and further down the field. And so it's really exciting to be working for a guy who's an innovator in public policy who I think brings a lot to the table and is going to really improve the quality of this race.
1: All right, but I mean just – let me me ask you some – I mean, I mean uh, we, we had an innovative governor in Jeb Bush in Florida. You have a very innovative governor, very aggressive governor in Scott Walker in Wisconsin. You have a very successful governor, very popular governor of Ohio in John Kasich. How is Rick Perry going to break out?
2: Well, I, I think there are pretty important distinctions between all those governors uh, that, that you mentioned. Um you know, for example, uh, t- to-, to bring Jeb Bush uh, into the uh, conversation, I mean, Jeb, uh, uh, Governor Bush is somebody who I have great admiration and respect for. Um, uh, he likes to talk about that as Governor Bush likes to talk about the economic performance of Florida being uh, superior uh, to that of Texas. I would uh, suggest to you that a big chunk of Florida's economic performance uh, during Governor Bush's tenure uh, was driven by the housing bubble, which um, – which mysteriously crashed uh, months after he left office. So uh, I think you can contrast that to Texas, where we had a 50%, 60% drop in the price of oil last year, and yet Texas continues to add jobs. I think uh, the the robustness and the diversity and the strength of the Texas economy is really, really impressive. If you go from the end of... uh, 2007, to the end of 2014, so the really the period that spans the time since the financial crisis, the U.S. lost, uh, uh, without Texas, the U.S. lost 1.1 million jobs. So Texas was responsible for, on net, the entirety of U.S. job growth during that period. So I think that's really the difference between Florida and Texas, is mm. that Florida really suffered after the financial crisis. Texas kept going.
0: Oh, but I don't think you don't understand. Even if Texas did add jobs, they may have been the wrong kind of jobs. And the gap between what they paid and what the boss made may have been really horrendous. So that's what, of course, people are going to ask. Let's look at income inequality since we're all concerned about that now. Wages, have they been going up in Texas, uh, regardless of whether the, the, the gap has been growing? Has Have wages been going up in Texas over the last four or five years under the Perry administration?
2: They have, and, you know. I wrote, I wrote a piece for, and, and don't hold this against me, for AlJazeera.com. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrote, I wrote you got to <laughs> eat. Everybody's got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a piece for them last year on this very topic. That you know, there's been this this allegation that the quality of the jobs in Texas is very poor, but actually, a, the national trend in the U.S. in the Obama era has been a hollowing out of the middle class. There are a lot more poor people, and there are a lot more wealthy people, but the middle class is being uh, uh, pushed aside. Texas has had the opposite uh, situation. The middle class is thriving in Texas. Uh, Wages or uh, income uh, for people in all income quartiles has gone up. And in Texas, one thing that's really important, and the governor talked about this last week in his speech on black poverty, one of the big things about Texas is that Whatever your income is, your dollar goes farther in Texas because taxes are effectively – the income taxes are zero because the ha- cost of housing is so low compared to uh, Rob Long's California that, uh, that we, we actually uh, – you, know, you can actually afford to live here. Right. My rent in Texas is a fraction of what it was in New York City, and that alone is powering my, uh, my checking account every time I take a look at it.
3: Over this is Troy Senec. Let's uh, let's get into your wheelhouse for a moment. Actually, everything's sort of your wheelhouse. But (laughs) first, among equals, healthcare. Um, There's a sentiment amongst a lot of conservatives that while they may not have liked the King v. Burwell decision on the merits, that the Supreme Court may have sort of pulled our chestnuts out of the fire. That the disruptions that would have resulted from having all of those subsidies canceled for people who were getting their insurance from the federal exchanges. would have been politically anyway a net negative for republicans because the politics of it would have been so treacherous and that it's just easier to be shooting for repeal and and replace in in 2017 do you do you think that's right do you share that sentiment
2: I would say that that's a sentiment I've heard a lot. I just came back from a trip to DC and I heard that a lot from people on Capitol Hill. Um I, I have to say personally the the issue of the rule of law really matters to me and and right. the <laughs> idea that uh John Roberts uh thinks that it's his role to uh to enact policy I find incredibly troubling and uh and that I can't look past that, I guess.
3: It it seems to me that one of the issues – there was a piece about this in the Wall Street Journal this week, but apart from that, it's not quite getting enough attention yet, is how much consolidation is happening in the healthcare industry as a result of, of Obamacare. Can you explain why that's happening and what the implications are for sort of your average American consumer of health insurance?
2: Yeah, so uh, it was a Scott Gottlieb op-ed. Uh, Scott's at AEI, among other places, and and he was absolutely right. I, I the way I, w- I would uh, talk about it two ways: one generally, and one specifically. So, in general, I think most of us who who think about free markets a lot understand that the more the federal government or state governments, for that matter, impose regulations on the economy, big businesses can afford all the lawyers and the compliance officers to comply with those regulations. Small businesses can't. So, any industry or any sector of the economy that's heavily regulated tends to become biased towards big players because those big players can shoulder right. all the costs of government. Healthcare is, as you, could, as you know, uh, heavily, heavily regulated. Um, and that's compounded by all the other messed up things that we do in U.S. healthcare that drive consolidation. Uh, so, what's happening in, in healthcare is that you have this. So more than half of what we spend as a country on healthcare is spent by the government. So one thing we don't realize, right. I think a lot of Amer- conservatives don't realize, is uh, just as a step back here, we th- we thought that we, a lot of people have this impression that we had this free market healthcare system before Obamacare uh, came around. That isn't true. Pri- right. Prior to Obamacare. U.S. government spending on healthcare per capita was higher than all but two other countries in the world, higher than most of those single-payer countries we like to make fun of. So we were already very heavily down the road or the catheter to serfdom, as I once wrote in National Review. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so it's, it's – By the way, I, I can't
1: now unsee that
2: image in my head. <laughs> So so that's that's the problem we've had and so and so how have hospitals responded to that hospitals have responded to that by merging and the reason why is this if more and more of your patients are getting insurance through the government through medicare medicaid obamacare and the like the the the, the number of patients you have that have traditional private health insurance is shrinking uh, and because the government dictates prices to you, Medicare says, "Hey, this is how much we're going to pay for that knee replacement or that um, that uh, angioplasty um, so so you don't have leverage with the federal government to to negotiate price, but you do have leverage with private insurers so here's what hospitals do: they merge so that even though they're getting paid a little less by the federal government, they can jack up prices that private insurers pay for those uh, for those hospital products so so in response to the mergers that are going on in the hospital sector to jack up prices to charge insurers more money, which means your premiums are up too, by the way, insurers are, are countering that by merging themselves because if the insurers merge, then the hospitals don't have as much uh, leverage because then the insurer can say, hey, I'm delivering 10 million patients to your hospital every year or 10 million patient visits to your hospital every year. You better listen to me and I'll, or I'll take those uh, patients to the hospital next door. Uh, So that's the game that's going on is the – there's an arms race between hospitals and insurers over that shrinking uh, portion of the pie uh, that's private sector healthcare in America.
1: So, Ovik, what – January 23rd, uh, 2017, President uh, Rick Perry takes office, walks in the Oval Office. Presumably you're there having not – uh, you know, made some kind of embarrassing tweet or something during the campaign. You you're never the, know. Well, you never. Well, know. you never know. I mean, I don't <laughs> put it past you, but just just say you're there. Um, what does he do? Does he repeal Obamacare? Does he uh, amend Obamacare? Does he uh, stroke with a stroke of the pen? He says it doesn't exist. I mean, this is a, a, part of the argument against Obamacare when uh, people were arguing against it was that uh, once it's law, it's law, and it's going to be really hard to undo. Um, what's the official Rick Perry position?
2: Governor Perry is committed to repealing and replacing Obamacare, and he uh, he said in his announcement speech, I believe, uh, that uh, that one of the first things he will do uh, when he's president is submit to Congress. Uh, well, he'll submit to Congress a couple things: one, uh, a freeze of all pending federal regulations from the Obama administration; two. Uh, a regulatory reform bill uh, to take uh, to roll back and, and put under strict regulatory budgets all federal agencies, so what, what does that mean uh, we, we have a uh, We have a federal government right now which issues regulations without any regard to the cost the economic cost of those regulations. so the idea here is require uh, the federal government and Congress actually to estimate the regulatory cost of all new regulations being put out by the executive branch make sure that those uh that those uh that, that that there's a fixed cap on the economic costs of regulations that can come out of a specific department of the executive branch and thereby force uh those agencies to say retire old regulations if they want to impose new ones so so the thing about obamacare to understand is that it's really it's two different things it's two different pieces you can understand obamacare is two different pieces one is the taxing and spending, right? right. So that's the. That's that is, that you know, I understand. Right. <laughs> the, the, the second the, part is yeah. the second part is the regulatory part. So there, the, the, you know, Obamacare is actually a profound uh, expansion of the federal government's power to regulate the healthcare economy, mm-hmm. and so, uh, so, so, so you repeal to to repeal and replace Obamacare, you got to do two things. You got to tackle the regulatory element of Obamacare, the individual mandates, things like that uh the insur regula- regulations the insurance market and you also have to tackle the taxing and spending. And, and so uh governor Perry does intend to uh unveil uh, at a later point uh and by a later point I don't mean like a year from now I mean uh you know uh in in this calendar year and and possibly in in, in a sooner time frame than that uh his plan to repeal and replace Obamacare.
1: Um okay. Can we just switch gears just quickly to one other topic that he's talking about? I think alone among Republican candidates right now, sure, um, and which is, uh, you know, I give him a lot of props for because I think it's it's a, it's a difficult one for Republicans to talk about, especially now, especially with the way the tone of the country is, and that's race. Um, he seems to be the only. I mean, he has said that uh, you know he he is the Republican candidate this year. There's always one. I mean, I'm gonna I'm giving it the most cynical gloss possible. There's always one Republican candidate who says, "I will not, I will not give up the black vote this time." I'm gonna go after the black vote, um, and they say it usually in the primaries, and um, somebody covers it, and then they 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 end up doing what every Republican candidate does: they give up the black vote. Uh, How's Rick Perry going to be
2: different? You know, I, I have never been prouder to work for Rick Perry than he, when I was. Then I, than I, than I was when he delivered that speech last week. Um, I think that there's a, a couple of, of points that I w- would highlight to your audience, and I encourage everyone to either read the full text of the remarks or. Uh, to watch uh, the speech on YouTube or C-SPAN or, or what have you, uh, because the full content of it is is hard to summarize in in, in the in the short time that we have. But but there's a, there was a couple of uh, of points that the governor was trying to make that Republicans. Almost never make. So as you noted, yes, Republicans say we shouldn't give up on the black vote. We should go into speak at black colleges or go into the the cities and 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 you know they like our school choice proposal. So we'll we'll win the black vote by pitching them on school choice. And I think those those are none of those things are wrong. I guess, but they've really failed to understand the depth of the problem. And the depth of the problem comes from the fact that Barry Goldwater in 1964 ran for president campaigning against the Civil Rights Act of 1964 because he had uh, the view that right. some parts of that uh, Civil Rights Act were unconstitutional. And and that <laughs> that, is, that was the moment in which the black vote went from being, say, 60% Democratic to 80 to 90% Democratic. And that is something that Republicans have failed to really process, which is to say that we talk a lot about the importance of states rights and yet we haven't figured out a way to reconcile that with the fact that states rights were the justification for slavery and segregation. And so what the governor pointed out and I think the governor is of course the guy with the maximum credibility to point it out, right? Because he's a guy who's passionate about the 10th amendment. And say, so look, the 10th amendment is the way to go broadly speaking in terms of how we run our affairs, but the history of slavery and segregation compels us to recognize why we also have a 14th Amendment, which is to say the 14th Amendment was passed by Republicans in the 19th century in one of their first great contributions to American life to so as to create an exception to the 10th Amendment when it comes to race and segregation and slavery. And for for reasons that are somewhat mysterious, I guess— uh, Republicans and conservatives haven't talked about uh, civil rights in that way. Uh, and, I, and, and I think that that's one of the most important things that the governor was trying to say. There are a lot of other things the governor is trying to say too, which is, look, we should hold Democrats accountable for the economic results of their policies in uh, inner cities and in urban communities and in uh, minority communities. And Texas has a very, very strong record of – of reducing unemployment, reducing the poverty rate, improving graduation rates for those very people that uh, Democrats claim uh, as uh, as a, to have a policy monopoly on. So there's a policy argument to be made about about how best to uh, to advance the interests of of black voters. But it's you're never going to get there unless you're willing to acknowledge. Uh, the real, real intellectual issue, which is that blacks in general rightly and understandably feel that the state's rights, the political philosophy, is profoundly contrary to their history. I mean imagine if you're uh, you know, an African-American of our age and you have a grandparent who was threatened with lynching or who had friends who were lynched. You know how are you supposed to respond to a Republican who just blithely says to you, "Oh yeah, the states should be in charge of everything," right? You're just not. And until we recognize the moral legitimacy of that argument, we aren't going to win the black vote. And so that's that's a big part of uh, I I think recognizing Mm -hmm. the Barry Goldwater mistake. Something I think as a conservative movement we have not done, and also recognizing the civil rights exception to our federalist approach to the, to governance. Those are two things philosophically and intellectually that we must do if we're ever going to uh to erode that monopoly that Democrats currently have on the black vote. We have to recognize that blacks don't vote democrat in the proportions that they do because somehow they've been manipulated by the liberal media. They vote yeah. in that proportion for Democrats because they genuinely believe that Democrats are more concerned about their interests.
0: Well, changing that perception is a is a long-term project that makes sending a probe to Pluto look like uh, something you'd dash off overnight. And good luck with that. But the, one of the, th- the things that Perry said in a recent, I believe, editorial was you have to look at the consequences of progressive, for example, land-use policies, zoning yep. to get the de- desire of what they the, – the, the nice little urban utopias that they wish. And when they finally get it – By some strange coincidence, it's it's sort of white and elitist and uh, not particularly as diverse as they would celebrate. Uh, And that's holding them accountable for their consequences. Uh, Now, when you talk about this, though, if you say that in a debate with Hillary Clinton, she's going to look at you and say, well, if you want to go to Texas where you have no zoning whatsoever and people can build a poison factory next to a school, then I guess people should go to Texas. I'm in favor of making sure that we have healthy kids. I mean the governor has to be ready for – A high-minded intellectual argument to be met with cod swaddle of the most pandering sort Uh, and uh, when he trains for the debates, is is that what he's expecting? I mean is he actually going out there expecting a point-by-point refutation from progressives because he's not going to get it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that Governor Perry feels uh, that he's very prepared to uh, address those questions. Again, I think that the record of Texas in advancing the economic interests of minorities is unparalleled. Uh, If you look at the supplemental poverty rate, which, by the way, takes cost of living into account, California's supplemental poverty rate for both blacks and Hispanics is 50 percent higher. That's five zero percent higher than texas is so if, if the lefties in california are going to tell us that their policies uh are achieving are are are, are helping uh minority communities uh, there's plenty of data uh, to refute that claim
0: all right Ovik, thank you very much we hope to have uh, you and uh, what the heck the governor on the podcast sure. again as as the uh, as the election progresses thanks much regards to the lone star state get back to work Ovik. all right, but I am, you know, if it does come down to Perry versus Hillary, and remember, I said a long time ago, it's going to be Perry Fiorino, and somebody else recently said. You did, that so over, you, I remember that you did. You, you, a long time he, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that has to. It doesn't have to do with I like this guy because everything he says is what I feel. It has to do with that uh, those eleven spice blends of electability and you know <laughs> yeah. going but one of the things that I would like to see come. But you the, but the, you also like him, right? I mean that,
1: there, there there is a thing. Yes, so pick do. a winner, it's like it's hard to pick it's hard to pick the winner if, if you hate it. like it, there is something about him like, oh I don't know, Rick
0: Perry would be kind of cool. You, know? you want to go yeah, right yeah. that has to be a you Part of it is the desire to, from these 16 candidates, assemble Frankenstein like you know, his charisma, right, his yeah. intelligence, his right. speaking style, etc., but you can't do that. So if it comes down to Perry versus Hillary in a debate, um, I would like at some point for him to to develop this little idea that when he takes his glasses off, all of a sudden he's going a little bit more authentically Texan than when they're on. Sort of a two-faced thing, just like I'm signaling to America when the glasses go off that, uh, that here comes the real thing. And then I would put them back on to show how these glasses indeed – Enforce a certain sort of rationality on me because that's what glasses mean to everybody, right? Smart person, smart, rational person. Clark Kent, glasses on, hard working guy. Glasses off, then he's Superman. Perry should work on that. Or maybe he should go to thegreatcourses.com and get the lecture series, The Philosopher's Toolkit, How to Be the Most Rational Person (laughs) in Any Room. Uh. And then he doesn't have to depend on cosmetic cues like glasses, but he can use his own intellect in order to dominate the room intellectually. (laughs) Now, most of you listening to this podcast, of course, are lifelong learners. And uh, like us, you're interested in learning for your own personal enrichment. That's the motivation behind The Great Courses. Now, The Great Courses series, The Philosopher's Toolkit, as I mentioned, is taught by the award-winning professor Patrick Grimm. And he gives strategies on how to be more creative, more rational, and inventive as well in your daily life. It'll supply exercises to help you think outside of the usual paradigms. It shows how to use conceptual visualization to manage information. In other words, if you've ever found yourself sitting there listening to somebody blather on like I'm doing now and wondering how you're going to get a word in it edgewise and win, well this is that. It gives you the strategies that you can use to turn the argument well, it's not necessarily enough to win. You've got to be right and you have to be right for the right reasons. So the Great Courses, which celebrates its 25th anniversary this year, Uh, by the way. It's got 500 courses in many subjects. Philosophy, history, religion, and more. You can get it in DVDs, CDs, streaming, digital downloads, or with The Great Courses apps, of course. Now, for a limited time, The Great Courses has a special offer for you, the Ricochet listener. Order from eight of their best-selling courses, including the Philosopher's Toolkit, at up to 80% off the original price. But only available for a limited time, so make haste. Order today. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash ricochet. That's thegreatcourses.com slash ricochet. Don't forget, all together now, thegreatcourses.com slash ricochet. Well, uh, we were That was talking-
1: a wonderful segue, James, but I have to say I hope that uh, th- there's <laughs> one person who I hope isn't the most rational person in the room and that's Rick Perry. if He's going to debate – Hillary Clinton, if he's uh, whoever is uh, whoever's debating in a presidential debate, I don't want them to be rational. I want them to be sort of um, aggressive. I want them to win. You know, it's sort of like you don't, as you put it, like I I I don't want them to lay out this perfect pellucid argument.
0: I want them to sort of go for the jugular. Right. That's when the glasses come off, and that's when you go full text in. That's when you get that. I mean, as I said last time, he ran it at National Review. Sometimes he has that expression where it's like in the in the back of his head, he's got this little grin. And it's like he's imagining how you would look if somebody said "dance partner" and shot a you know a forty five at you. And America wants that. America, America. Part of America, part of America, might want that, especially if something bad happens twixt now and then. And uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks, people have been saying, "Well, what can go worse than the culture collapsing? Uh, how about the economy?" When you cast your eyes around the world, you see Greece, <sighs> and then you see China. ha? Ah, a lot of fingernail biting down at the critical <laughs> over of the Chinese. It was a good
1: Simpsons sound effect. Yeah, that's good.
0: <laughs> Hello. You can, do Krusty, you can do Krusty the Clown when it comes to, uh, to the Greek <laughs> right. economy. Oh, this is how he's death. Don't we bring in somebody who has both a Greek surname and who has a, uh, an economics background and who sounds as though he's broadcasting from a plane at 30,000 feet with a cabin noise in the background? Are you indeed in a Learjet right now going off to Europe, James?
5: Uh, I wish. I wish I wasn't. I would. I would have no fear to go to Greece. Greece is Greece, a wonderful country full of wonderful people, smoking <laughs> lots of wonderful cigarettes, and drinking lots of wonderful coffee.
1: Uh, all right, Pethacook. enough of your boosterism. Although I do agree, uh, I'm too. gonna. I'm gonna ask you a series of questions from the deeply American perspective. Um, that when I read uh, a news about foreign economies. Here's what I really want to know. Greek referendum, does it have any effect on me in America and the American dollar? Um,
5: here, here's how it would have a, a big effect. It would have a big effect if uh, Greece ends up leaving uh, the euro and then uh, – uh, investors look at uh, the debt of some other highly indebted European countries, Spain, Italy, Portugal, and they think, well, gee, uh, maybe these countries aren't so safe after all. Maybe maybe they're not guaranteed forever to be right. in the euro. Maybe their debt isn't so safe. And then, and then so then we have, begin to have a repeat of what we saw a few years ago, and people begin to wonder, gosh, uh, maybe this euro, the euro isn't isn't a forever thing, maybe, maybe it can collapse. And there was a great, there was a great <clears throat> research report put out during that time by, uh, by Citigroup. And I, I, I read a lot of uh, Wall Street research, but rarely, particularly when you're talking about Europe, does Wall Street research use words like civil war? <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Yeah, <laughs> do you remember when you do, wrote about doomsday?
5: That, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, so that, I mean, that is that is a concern. It uh, <laughs> affects the global economy. People here get worried. Um, so yeah, so that. I mean, Greece in and of itself, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely place, but it's a very small place. So I mean, if that worst case. If we begin to get those other worst case scenarios, so, then all yeah. Right.
1: So, but okay, uh, just just help me again, like I'm a six year old. Um, Okay, So I think it's happening now, by the way. There certainly is uh, – one of the reasons why the dollar is so strong um, and the dollar will only get stronger, right? I mean if people feel that the euro is no longer uh, a a competitor in in strong currency to the dollar, they will go to the dollar for safety. Dollar gets stronger. I'm an American. Does does that bug me? I mean um, I remember back in the – I'm old enough to remember back in the Reagan days that one of the biggest raging debates among conservatives was – a uh, strong dollar versus weak dollar, and one of the things that um, Steve Forbes kept saying, and I think you, even um, um, Larry Kudlow says, is that you, you you don't help your economy by weakening your currency. So, st- won't a strong dollar be good for America, or will it just hurt us more in our trade?
5: Well, right. Well, right now, I think I think uh, that's that's exactly the thing it, it's hurting trade. It is a drag on the economy. I mean, listen. Lo- I mean, you know, over the long term a strong dollar is good if it reflects that people you know think very highly of your country that they feel like it it, it won't uh you know suffer lots of inflation <clears throat> that you're very productive that you're growing you know people want to hold us assets so from that perspective a strong dollar is good you know or a stable dollar is good uh but right now in any like short-term medium-term framework it can be good or it can be bad. Just saying, like, is a strong dollar good? Is a weak dollar bad? You can't really reason from just like that kind of move. You have to see what it, what is the overall context. And if the overall context is that people are flocking to the dollar because they view the rest of the world uh, is imploding, uh, then that 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 may not be a good situation. So, so it's okay. a strong right. dollar, you just can't say strong dollar, strong dollar as kind of a de facto.
1: You know, kind of, you know, rule of thumb. I I don't think that works. Okay, so uh, on the scale, I mean, so (laughs) I, I, so it is, it is true that my reaction, which is, I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but my gut (laughs) reaction when I hear things like this may may make the euro weaker. The European, uh, uh, the countries are, 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 are the European Union, the European Central Bank is 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 in a is in a mess. Um, Part of me is like, good. Those Europeans deserve it. That's a childish response that will probably end up uh, hurting me um, in, in my immaturity. OK. I, I accept that. Second, the second issue from my own American perspective, uh, Chinese asset inflation, um, Chinese stock market trouble, um, uh, part of me uh, – again, maybe it's a childish part of me, sees that and I think, good. Let that bubble burst. Um, that can only be good for us um stupid or not stupid
5: well i mean i think uh you know what you're seeing in the stock market really reflects um, maybe a you know right it's a stock market bubble uh stock mo- market bubble to a great degree generated by the by the government, which was you know encouraging, you know, through the very you know, through the right. media, through newspapers, right. buy bye, buy, buy. And that now every, it's forbidding you to sell, right? Right, right. <laughs> after every I mean what, there's an editorial in the People's Daily, which of course I'm a regular reader of saying, Don't worry, <laughs> after every rain, there's a rainbow. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's amazing. But it also reflects that, you know, Brad is that The underlying Chinese economy, I don't think, is nearly as strong as what we think. I think it may be an economy that's really maybe not growing very much at all. And I think the next question is exactly what you you said. How will China react? Will they think, gosh, you know, what we're doing, you know, worked for a while. It's no longer working. We need to have a lot more privatization and market reforms. Or are they going to say, we cannot show any weakness. We have to make sure everyone realizes the party can control the economy and you're going to get a lot more government intervention. I think over I, the long term, that doesn't work. but Over the near term, that may be their response.
0: I, I'm guessing the latter. I, if, if anybody in the Chinese stock market comes out and mm-hmm. says, the fundamentals are sound, which is always what they <laughs> say after the Dow goes down a thousand points, right, right, whenever right. anybody says the fundamentals are sound, you know that the floorboard beams are completely rotted with termites and it's time to sell. Right. But I always thought that if but China just
5: it's, like it's like when a baseball team says we have a lot of confidence in the manager.
0: Yeah.
5: yeah. <laughs> I, mean, so, I mean, better
0: start packing. But I figured with... With China, the problem was going to be a property, bu- uh, property bust because one of the reasons, of course, you can keep your economy roaring around at the mandated 8 percent every year is to build empty cities in the middle of nowhere and then also to have these massive projects that they have in the big cities that people will sell and you know, sell all their assets to get a little tiny portion of a piece of chunk of concrete in the sky. So even if the Chinese stock market stabilizes, don't they have a big property bust en route as well that they have to digest?
5: Well, I do know. I mean, I think we've all seen on the Internet like the ghost cities, Uh, you know, just, you know, skyscrapers and everything and no one there. I mean, but some of those ghost cities have ended up filling in as more people have sort of moved uh, from the countryside. But yeah, right. This is a very it is it it is. I think you could say it's a bubble. We have an equity bubble. And I think the question is whether uh, the Chinese economy is just going to be sort of in a permanent state of kind of, you know, like, one, one bubble to the next to the next, or can they actually create a sustainable growth model? I don't think a top-down government-run economy is a sustainable model. And can they transition uh, to a more market-based economy, which I don't think they can if you if you continue to have uh, you know, the Communist Party in power, because by, by its very nature, a sustainable market-based economy is not a centrally planned economy. And if you don't have a centrally planned economy, you don't need the central planners. Jim Troy
3: Sinek, let me take you back to Greece for a moment, because there's so much uncertainty around this right now. What does a reasonable outcome look like to you in the Greek situation? What's the move or the sequence of moves that seems to you to make the best sense long term?
5: Uh, I think, it, realistically, uh, I think they uh, they leave the euro. They don't pay back that that the economy goes in I mean just goes further into the tank uh, but eventually um, they have a they have a, a, a better priced currency and they begin they get more visitors they begin to trade more and uh, I think that we've seen that with you know some other countries but it's going to get a lot it's, it'll get worse before it gets better and I'm not sure this is I'm not sure it, none of this will lead Greece to anything that you could call uh, prosperity it's a poorly run country cl- whether you want to call it, crony capitalism or clientelist capitalism, uh, it's nothing. Re- it's nothing really resembling market capitalism. So it, it, I think that is your scenario, which is a a country that will eventually sort of you know lead, get out of the bottom, but it's not going to be anything. It will not be a country that you're going to call flourishing. Um, and you know, listen, I don't think it's ever going to be Switzerland on the Aegean. So
3: is the right way to think about it – the short-term pain is inevitable. You guys are going to have to deal with that. You have to be thinking about what what gets you to the highest level long-term. Yeah,
5: yeah. I, mean, I mean that's been sort of the criticism all along that this was just a – the euro was a bad fit between a lot of the northern, very fiscally sound, very productive economies and all these southern economies. To make the euro work long-term in that sort of arrangement … It has to look a lot more like the United States, where you have not just a you know a similar a same currency, but your your budgets are coordinated. You have a, you have a fiscal union, so uh, you know, there's wealth transfers from the north to the, to the south. Uh, that that does not look like that's going to happen anytime soon. So uh, that may happen, but it's going to be too late for
0: Greece. Mm. Well, I- Well, maybe they should replace the uh, euro with the hero. Go from a, you know, to a a meat based economy where people are just. uh,
1: (laughs) That'd be great. Sign me up.
0: (laughs) Or gyros. I never could really get a definitive answer (laughs) on that. (laughs) I believe it's euros, but so euros, I euros. Well, there you go. Okay, so you go and you just have you just exchange wonderful pita breads dripping with cucumber sauce instead of money. And and yeah. frankly, I think a lot of people would be up for that. Uh, J- James, thank you so much for joining us in the podcast today. Uh, we hope not to talk to you for a while because that'll mean that nothing has <laughs> yeah. collapsed, cratered, I'm, and destroyed. I'm on alert. Just be so you no, know, I'm on alert. <laughs> All right. We'll see you around. Thanks for joining oh, yeah. us. Today. Thanks a lot. You Thank know, you. he's right about everybody's right. Rob's right. Troy's right about uh, Greece being an absolutely wonderful, beautiful country. I, when I was there and had a, an authentic hero, hero uh, at a seaside resort, I remember two things. One, the proprietor of the shop <clears throat> was helping everybody read the menu because uh, nobody, of course, no. Nope. I know
1: where you're going. I know where you're going. <laughs> I know where this is going. This is great. Go ahead.
0: Keep really? Sorry. Because Sorry. I don't. I, I honestly, do. I honestly. I do know where you're going. I know where you're going. I honestly don't. Well since Rob will it want, want me to help you? Want me to help you? Yeah, go right ahead. How does he
1: get those how does he get that meat so thin on that on that sandwich, on the hero? No. He shaves it. No. No? Oh, I, wasn't
0: sorry. Even, I wasn't even thinking oh, about Oh, God, that, sorry. To tell you the truth, I what? forgot that I had a commercial coming oh, up. Oh, man, at all.
1: Well, 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 Thank God I'm here to remind you.
0: It was good that you did. No, I had a little tale that actually, oh. uh, you know, because sometimes people mention Greece. People mention that you should go. And you keep reading this, right, that just because the, the company, the country is falling apart doesn't exactly. mean you shouldn't go. And the owner of the place had a little – had a t- he was wearing a shirt and it had uh, New Orleans Jazz Club or something, some embroidery. <laughs> (laughs) on it. It's something that that you would buy in a gift shop Uh, made made in China, whatever. And I asked him if he'd ever been to New Orleans and he got a very sad look on his face. And he said, no, but it is my dream someday to go there. It is a dream someday to leave. And here I'm thinking... You've got a little cafe by the most beautiful blue waters in the world. This I mean this is this for most people is heaven. And yet the United States still 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 beckons out there as this wonderful place that you want to go. Well, when we finished our order, you know, we got the order and there it was and they were heroes all right and they were delicious looking, but they had french fries on top of them. Yeah. And I wondered whether or not that they just put French fries on top of them if they discerned that the customer was American, that this no. somehow was just an odd. But they put French fries on top of yeah,
1: them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they're lemon. They put lemon French fries
0: on them. Lemon French fries, right, which yeah. which is a wonderful thing. But again, yeah. you think, does does Michelle Obama know about this exactly? <gasps>
1: <laughs> yeah, right. That's why. That's why they're broke. Uh, look, the food in Greece, I spent a lot of time in Greece and in Turkey, when you can't say this, I couldn't say this with Pethokoukas on because they – or with any Turk on because the Greeks and the Turks hate each other. But the truth is the, the, the food is really very, very similar and it's delicious and I would um, – I mean the, 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 I mean, it's a horrible thing to say but uh, if Greek, Greece does go sort of – you know, uh, go rogue uh, a little bit and has some uh, financial trouble. Um, the beaches are beautiful. The cities are great. The people are great. The food's really, really good. Um, it's a great vacation destination, and of course, it's the cradle of uh, civilization. So why not go?
3: I don't know that it's that terrible of a thing to say, is it? I want really? to. I want to see Greece eat it. And, and <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean gratuitous suffering. Well,
1: that's suffering. kind of a
3: terrible thing to say. No, I don't, I don't mean gratuitous suffering because uh, I was once hit on by Telly Savalis' daughter. So the Greek people have retained a special place in my heart. But what, <laughs> okay. what I mean is that I am, I am sick to death of this consensual fantasy mm-hmm. that the Western world has lived under for the last eight years or so that any institution of a sufficient size will bear no consequences. for its behavior. So Wall Street can set a brush fire and someone else can pay for the hoses. And GM can spend a few decades creating an object lesson in how you destroy a great company and the federal government's going to be there at the end of the line with some hot towels and and a mint on their pillow. And so Greece can spend money. It has no capacity to pay back because let's be honest. It's all on Germany's credit card in the end. That's right. If you you want better decision-making, if you want rational decision-making … You have to let people live with the consequences of their actions. And, and I, as I, I, long as that connection is severed, you are going to get more of the same.
1: And the, the, the irony is that the people who should be punished here are not the Greeks. Right. They are actually right. the Germans. Uh, they are the, the creditors, the ones who actually lent the money and had this grand scheme and no. thought you could conjure up this stuff which d- did not exist. They could, they could, They could conjure a currency based on nothing. Um, I mean assuming it all falls apart, right, uh, that, that – based on an economy they could cobble together that really had very, very few understandings, very, very few cultural understandings. Um, look, everybody in Germany, all those German taxpayers what, – what, and I, I, I'm sorry we, we lost Jim because I would li- like to have asked him this. Um, what, what, I'd like to respond to this. The truth is go to, go to Greece. Before the EU, uh, 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 Greek houses had uh, – um, they didn't have what they called corresponding taps. In the bathrooms. So you had a hot faucet and a cold faucet. Like the old style America, you got to an old old house in America and in the US, that's what you had. You had a hot faucet and a cold faucet and you kind of had to mix them in the basin. And then they had corresponding taps where the hot faucet and the cold faucet mixed and it came out the center, a center tap and you could mix it, have warm water. Um, everybody in Germany for the past fifteen twenty years has basically bought everyone in Greece corresponding taps and a new kitchen and a new bathroom there 's been a remodeling boom in in mm. Greece and a remodeling boom by, for that like, frankly in Spain and Portugal and the various countries that are in trouble now that 's what that 's where the money went uh People borrowed money and they, had, they remodeled their houses and you can see it you can see it in Greece, you go to Greece you go to Spain, go to Portugal you can see exactly what happened um, uh, and that's there's a certain there's a, there's a certainly there is a certain and I think they these people these creditor nations have a point that um, there's a certain culpability on the part of the creditor too.
0: Well, you you were saying that I, though that it was Germany's fault for lending money to people who couldn't pay it back, and I, I would say sure, perhaps maybe okay, but there's also something about the fault of a people who themselves, through the manifestations of their culture, have come up with a dysfunctional political society. I mean if they didn't want the corruption and the no-tax right. compliance and the right. over-military spending, then they would vote for it. But when you've got 113 pension funds <laughs> and we have people who are able to retire from the profession of broadcasting at the age of 50 because of possible microbial exposure to microphones, yeah. So I mean well, – sympathy- What
1: you have is the state of California.
0: Yeah. Right. All right. And all those wonderful things. I want to get back to the fact that uh, Troy, did you say that you were actually hit upon by Tro- by uh, Telly Savalas' daughter? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, we, we can't let that go. We, we yeah, can't. I actually met Telly Savalas, and this was at a poolside uh, in a hotel where he lived. I think. I think he actually lived there because he had a bar he, there called the called Universal Hilton. That would be the one. He had a yeah, bar Hilton. called Telly's, and uh, he would just lounge around the pool. And he, you know, looked great sitting out there with his cronies. I had a laptop. This was like 1994. I had a very early Macintosh laptop, which weighed 478 pounds, but it was a cool-looking little gray object with a trackball and the rest of it. And Telly waved me over. He wanted to take a look at the computer. <laughs> and so I gave Telly Savalis a lesson in the Macintosh. And I hope that I sold him one. And it's just a pity that I never knew what happened to Telly and the whole Apple thing. And it's a pity that, Belly had, that, that Telly had to leave us before something like Harry's, could deliver a razor to his door so he could shave right there in the hotel that famous bald dome without having to schlep his way down the street to buy some blades at who knows what. Did they even have CVSs back then? I don't know. Anyway, Telly would approve. Telly would approve of Harry because overpaying for drugstore razor blades is, is stupid, okay? Now, you all know the story, and I imagine that you can repeat it With me, by heart, Harry's.com was created by two guys passionate about creating a better shaving experience. They bought the factory in Germany. What is it, a 98-year-old factory now? 99, we're going to be around for a 100-year-old factory. What a celebration Harry's will have then. This place offers some of the world's highest quality blades, uh, and by cutting out the middleman, not literally, of course – uh, they can offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of those drugstore brands. They ship the things right right to your house. That's the other great part about it. Starter kit's just 15 bucks. That includes razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel. Either provides a wonderful, soothing emollient. As an added bonus, you can get 5 bucks off your first purchase with a code ricochet. That's right. Use the code ricochet ricochet and you get an entire month shaving for 10 bucks shipping is free as i said to who wants to walk down to the store or wants to drive eh, satisfaction is guaranteed go to harrys.com and harrys will give you five dollars off if you type in the code ricochet with your purchase that's h-a-r-r-y-s dot com enter the coupon code ricochet at checkout for five dollars off and start shaving smarter today and if after you've used the blade for a couple of weeks try it out on some heroes meat, and I'll bet it'll shave it so thin oh, that it'll support just, an entire bed of, fresh, of lemon yeah. french fries. Well, I had to do that for Rob. Anyway, so gentlemen, more... Let, let's, uh, let's drift back to our own situation here domestically. One of the things that uh, people have been talking about in the member feed, which is always a great source of contentious, bumptious elbow, you know, uh, not elbow throwing, but elbow rubbing. It's a collegial place. Right?
1: Collegial elbows, yeah.
0: Right. Is uh, one of the reasons that Carly and Donald are doing well, says Canadian Cincinnatus, is, uh, is that they fight. This is something Glenn, uh, Glenn Reynolds at Instapunit always says about Carly. I like her. She fights. This is an impo- – I mean if you listen to Carly's responses compared to Hillary's responses, it's really not just the fighting. It's a nimble intellect that is willing to answer questions and not dance right. around them. And the, the contrast is extraordinary. So if these guys are getting the traction, Trump in particular, because, he f- because he's fighting and saying things that nobody else is saying, is there a lesson for the rest of the guys running or are they all just leaning back and letting Trump – blow off steam and self-destruct. But Troy, take us through this Trump thing and where it's going.
3: Well, I think there's actually an instructive contrast between Carly Fiorina and Donald Trump, which is that Carly Fiorina fights the right way. Um, And Donald Trump tends to create these spectacles. And look, I've I've made plenty clear in the past that I regard Trump as – something of a carnival barker and kind of an unserious and and ungracious person. But there has long been a trend in presidential politics, especially on the Republican side in recent years, that style outweighs substance in the early going. I mean that's how you get the the Michelle Bachman or the Herman Cain boomlets last time. And then eventually we have to picture this person behind the Resolute Desk in the Oval Office and we all kind of come to our senses. Uh, But that said, the thing that I think is appealing about Trump more than anything is that he is not politically correct, and I think there is a simmering resentment, justified one I might add, amongst Americans who are fed up with being told that having the slightest misgiving about immigration is de facto evidence of, of xenophobia, and this this murder that we saw recently in San Francisco is is a good example of that. I mean we shouldn't be having This discussion, someone who is in this country illegally and has seven felony convictions, that is not a close case. And yet the policy atmosphere in places like San Francisco is so skewed that five minutes before this murder, it was considered gauche to think that someone like this ought to face legal consequences for a history of destructive behavior. And when you are that far removed from reality, the Trump message is going to have some appeal, and I understand why.
1: And that your government is supposed to do – protect you from precisely these people. And that if you're a voter and you're listening, you're paying attention to the last three weeks in America, when a crazy uh, devil, a demon, um, bursts into Bible study in Charleston and kills nine people, um, the entire country stops. And we go through this period of self-reflection and then we start talking about these abstract ideals and we uh, – then we have a political fight about a flag and there's all sorts of uh, complicated internal debates going on. And when uh, an illegal alien, an, a, a person in this country illegally who found refuge in a – what they call a, a – was a refuge city or sanctuary a – Sanctuary city. Sanctuary he city. Commits, he commits murder. Um, there is precisely zero debate. From, certainly from the left and there does – so that does seem to be the deck is stacked. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think that's why – that's probably why I, – I think Trump is getting traction only on that one issue and he's only getting traction and I think it's uh, – unfortunately, I, I think because he's such a loud mouth, he may actually end up hurting the more rational arguments um, uh, that that are out there um, for, for border security and for um, – um, you know, Im- I mean, like, I was about to say immigration reform, but I mean that's what it is. What we so we need um, just tougher than anybody, anybody else is saying. So yeah, I mean I think I, I, don't, I don't think Trump is fighting. He's just you know he's just try- making noise. Carly Fiorina though. Well anyway, you finish what you're saying because I think I think I agree with you, Troy. That Carly.
3: Well yeah, I mean I think just Carly Fiori- Carly Fiorina does it in a way that doesn't <clears throat> doesn't really create any collateral damage. I mean I think that we have to keep in mind too with the Trump thing that you know the, the media is chasing these stories every day because that's the time horizon that they work on. And some of the, the poll numbers for Trump are overstated on the basis of the fact that Trump just has way greater name recognition than almost anybody in this field. And I think really the long-term question isn't where does this take Donald Trump? It's where does this take a slightly more sober candidate who can co-opt the salient points of his message? That's the historical pattern is that you have somebody like this who is a marginal candidate or not a viable nominee. It's not about where they end up. It's about who can find a way to appeal to the same sorts of folks who are responsive to that message but build it in as part of a a coherent – Platform that is going to appeal to a lot, a lot more people, and we'll see where this, where this Trump thing goes. Apparently, uh, I read this morning that uh, Reince Priebus, the RNC chairman, I guess, placed a call to Trump yesterday, asking him to, to tone it down. I can't imagine. That seems like a call that was not very well
4: briefed. <laughs> yeah. I,
3: mean, I can't imagine what you think you're getting uh, out of that.
0: You know, and Hillary, of course, in her recent uh, No Holds Barred interview on CNN says that she believes in a <laughs> compassionate response to immigration, that she's known a lot of immigrants over her life. They've shaped her. They're important. And she believes in, uh, you know, she's castigating the Republicans for not believing in a path to citizenship, which she does. Well, Andrew Wilkow, and the Wilkow majority yesterday, a serious XM station, uh, he played some clips from Hillary just a few years ago where she is staunchly anti-path to anything. Right. Uh, we've got to have border security. We've got to have tighter controls. We've got to do some uh, exporting. And it's, it's quite remarkable. It's almost as if there was a shift there in tone and policy in order to uh, t- tack to the political winds of the moment. Now, for any other candidate – this would be something that the media would be, and I hold on, Rob, I know I'm doing that thing you hate. It's the
1: political season, you're allowed to.
0: It, if this was any other candidate, her statement there would be held in stark contrast to what she had said before, and she'd be asked to account for the differences in tone and ideas. Just as if this were any other candidate who said, I never got a subpoena, and uh, the next day Troy Gowdy is <laughs> Wait, waving, the, <laughs> w- waving <laughs> the subpoenas around, <laughs> that would actually be in the paper at some point. At least yeah. they would say, troubling issues have been raised. But in order for that to work, uh, you know, you've got to have a media that is vested in doing to her what they would like to do to whoever the Republicans uh, put up. And we're just going to have to get out the message as much as we can. But here's the thing. When we're talking about immigration, we're talking about what Trump says. We're talking about what Perry says. We're not talking about somebody else. And I wonder if the air has gone out of the enthusiasm for Scott Walker. I'll throw that out there.
1: Well, I mean, look, I don't think he's um, – th- there is that fear. Uh, I-, I think he is running a very strange campaign tactically. I'm not sure it's the smartest move for him to do. Uh, I think he's trying to win Iowa, which I don't think is necessarily a smart thing for him to do. I don't think it's necessarily a smart thing for the um, – for someone who wants to win the Republican nomination to really go after winning Iowa. Iowa doesn't seem to be a very good state to – a very good bellwether bell- bell- state for that honor. Um and I think he's putting himself in the second tier candidates, trying to be the first among the second tier, rather than the first among the first tier. And by the first tier, I mean the people who we we all kind of think could actually win. You know, Rick Perry, uh, Marco Rubio, um, John Kasich, Jeb Bush, um, Scott Walker. He should be in that group, and um, and I don't think he's in that group. Uh, I, I think it was foolish for him to talk about uh, after the um, the the. Gay rights – the gay marriage ruling to talk about having a, 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 a constitutional amendment. Uh, he he could have said something else. That was, that seemed to be pandering in a, in a very odd way uh, for that issue, um, and I just kind of feel like he's kind of lost his – he's sort of, sort of rudderless now. A lot of it is because these guys started so early, and they started so early, and then That's they true. have to go raise money, and now they have to keep paddling, and there's just only so much ground you can cover. Uh, they're just – and then you have to re- keep reacting to things and you, you, know, you, you don't control the timetable. Now the timetable controls you. Uh, but a lot of it I think is also just that this is, a, this is a marathon now being turned into a triple marathon because of how early everything started. And um, it, this really does start, start to show where the professionals are and where the sort of seasoned pros in national politics are and what's one of the reasons why I think you're looking at a very different Rick Perry now. Because um, he's done it once and having and, and having done it once or having been in, in national politics for a long time kind of really does say something. I mean I I still believe he may flame out because of personality issues because John Kasich is, can be a prickly guy, but uh, he's been in national politics for a long time. He's seen a lot of presidential candidate, uh, 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 campaigns up close, um, and I think we're going to see evidence of that.
3: Yeah, I'm maybe not quite as concerned as – as Rob is where, where Walker's is concerned. Um, although I, I do agree with the, uh, some of those points, especially the thing that troubles me so far, and it's so early that it's tough to tell what you can extrapolate, and what you can't. But the Walker campaign does seem to prioritize, I think, wrongly tactical decisions over strategic ones sometimes, and we've seen this with him, you know bending in six different directions on immigration. There was that seeming flip early on in his campaign about the the ethanol subsidies in Iowa, the gay marriage thing. I mean these all seem like things that they're doing to sort of chase the news cycle, which probably don't sort of help you in the long term. Uh, I don't think it's as much of a problem as – It sounds like Rob does for him to go after Iowa because I think Iowa is sort of – you're right as far as the historical track record not being great for people who win Iowa. But I do think Iowa is a much more logical place if you're Scott Walker to focus in a place like New Hampshire just because the the electorate fits you better. And I think Walker's going to have a a harder time in New Hampshire and and maybe in South Carolina. I don't know. South Carolina is a little bit harder to pin down.
1: Well, but but he's got that. His anti union message, I think, does well in New Hampshire, does really well in South Carolina. That's right. I mean, he's got to get out of that. He's got to, if he, once you're in that, um, you know, Iowa's a very weird place. It's very weird. It's very difficult to get any traction, even if you win. Uh, You know, Iowa, you know, you win Iowa with 10,000 votes. It's not not a significant victory, Um, it just is the first. Um, and so the optics of it are important, but I don't think it really gives you anything operationally. And I, it, it, it can it can be this. It's like a land war in Asia. You know, you just get stuck driving <laughs> around Iowa, going to you know, uh, uh, hot dog fries, and you don't quite get any of the <laughs> juice you want. And um, it's tough. Have- it's a tough you know.
0: Uh, I have a vision now of a Marlon Brando type character in a barn somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> you know, outside of Coralville, the horror, the horror. <laughs> right, right. Well, a marathon indeed it is, uh, perhaps also comparable to those old, early, you know, late 19th century boxing matches where John L. Sullivan would go up against a guy and there'd be 87 rounds who will be standing at the end of 20 or 30. We'll find out. Down the road, but that's why we have the podcast here and a stable of guests stretching under the horizon to tell us what they think. Uh, Peter will be back next week, I hope. uh, But, Troy, thank you for stepping in today as well. We'd like to remind you. The podcast has been brought to you by TheGreatCourses.com. Go to TheGreatCourses.com slash ricochet and get up to uh, 80% off on eight titles and be smarter for it. And also shave smarter at Harry's Shave. That's HarryShave.com slash ricochet for $5 off your first order. Visit, of course, the Ricochet store, too, so you can walk around in public and ex-John with a mug, or just have uh, one of our custom-made t-shirts that uh, tells you you are a Ricochet cognoscenti. And uh, don't forget to stop in the comments and tell us what you think, won't you? We'll see you there. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Peter. And we'll see everybody in the comments at Ricochet 2.0. Next
1: week, fellas. See you again.
2: the conversation.